Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Saturday, September 9th, 2023. I'm Jared Halpern. It was the first week back for the Senate after a summer recess and health concerns for the Republican leader. He said, no, I'm going to finish my term as leader and I'm going to finish my term in the Senate, which runs until January of 2027. And the federal deficit is on pace to double this year without any solutions to bring it down. Politicians have passed tax cut after tax cut and spend increase after spending increase. And very rarely have they asked themselves, can we afford this? This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. If you want to see how eager Capitol Hill correspondents were to cover Congress again after the long recess, take a look at photos or video this week of the regular weekly news conference by Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell. It was absolutely packed with scores of reporters curious about the 81-year-old Kentucky senator's health following another freeze-up a couple of weeks ago. Well, I think Dr. Monahan covered. We'd like to hear from you. I know you are hearing from me. I think Dr. Monahan covered the subject. Cool. You've had a chance to read it. I don't have anything to add to it, and uh, I think it should answer any reasonable question. That voice you heard pressing McConnell for more details was from, unsurprisingly, Fox News senior congressional correspondent Chad Pergram, who reports journalists aren't the only ones with questions about McConnell's well-being. Constituents and even colleagues are expressing concerns publicly in a departure from longstanding tradition. Well, there are a number of Republicans who certainly after he briefed them at that luncheon that they have once a week, um, usually on a Tuesday, this was on a Wednesday, mm-hmm. um, where they he actually took time to kind of, you know, talk to fellow Republican senators about his situation. And most of them walked out saying they were rather pleased with the responses. Even Rick Scott, the Republican senator from Florida who ran against him in a leadership race, didn't get very close to beating Mitch McConnell last last year, but uh, he said, I thought he did a very, very good job. And others like Lindsey Graham, Bill Haggerty uh, from Tennessee, they all say that they support McConnell and uh, believe the uh, information that came from the office of the attending physician. Now, the problem here, and this is exactly what I asked McConnell. So on on Tuesday, you have a letter mm-hmm. that is published by the Capitol attending physician that says uh, what it's not, rules things out, Parkinson's. Uh, says it's not a stroke, but doesn't rule things in. So I asked McConnell, because this is the first time, you know, we've we've talked to him since then. I said, you know, he ruled things out. And so he immediately pivoted to the Monaghan letter. I said, no, I said, but we want to hear from you, not Dr. Mon. We've heard from him, even though just in a written <laughs> statement here. Yeah. And he said, well, everything's in that letter. And I said, well, you know, what is your responsibility to the voters of Kentucky and, and others in the interest of transparency? And I said, mm-hmm. do you know what it is? And he kind of chuckled and then went to another reporter who asked the same question. Now, the other thing that came out of that press conference 
was he was then asked whether or not, uh, you know, about these, you know, these calls from some people that he should go. Mm -hmm. And he said, no, I'm going to finish my term as leader and I'm going to finish my term in the Senate, which runs until January of 2027. John Thune, the Republican whip from South Dakota, who's one of the people who might be uh, the next in line here. Yeah. Uh, He's possibly, the number two if, right if, now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's the whip uh, said, you know, whether or not McConnell would finish his term said, you know, that's too far in advance. We can't, you know, even speculate on these things. But here is one thing that's interesting. So you had had you had uh, Rand Paul, fellow senator from Kentucky, who's an ophthalmologist, by the way, mm -hmm. really getting into some of the science here. And again, he's not, you know, a, a neurologist. He's not a, you know, a GP. He's an ophthalmologist, but, but talking in medical terms, saying he didn't think that the information from the attending physician uh, kind of jibed with what they were seeing, thought that this was a, a nor neural focal event is what he called mm -hmm. it. Now, and said, just to, just said, to be clear, Chad, we should say that what the attending physician has said is that this is not uncommon for people recovering from a serious uh, concussion, yes. as McConnell is, in that it can be um, exacerbated by dehydration, like dehydration makes it worse. That was yes, what we have heard from the attending physician, right? Yeah. And that's what uh, and that's what uh, Rand Paul kind of latched on to saying, you know, this is not dehydration and said that sometimes when people have what he was thinking it is, uh, again, he's not diagnosed or, or, or you know, and kind he's of, not uh, seen the, the, the medical charts that the, the attending he's not physician seen the charts. That he has consulted that's with right. McConnell's medical team, including a neurologist. He had uh, uh, several, from what we understand, yeah. too, he has several neurologists, and he's not examined uh, Senator McConnell, uh, but he's saying, you know, that this type of thing, you know, might not show up on an EEG. Now, you had Bill Cassidy, a uh, Republican senator from um, uh, Louisiana, who's also a doctor, uh, kind of yeah. said, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, I'm not, you know, I've not examined him. He said, yeah. you know, what if you asked me about an injured knee from a running back from LSU? You know, I could talk about it, but I, I've, not, I've not looked at it. I can't really right. tell you. So that's the other approach. But here's the other interesting thing, Jared. Uh, you had Josh Hawley, the Republican senator from Missouri, saying that this is all he heard about uh, during his travels in Missouri over the recess was McConnell's health. Now, he voted against McConnell for leader last yeah. fall. Uh, he indicated that he doesn't think that he should be leader now. And here's the tipping point. He thought that it was inconsistent of Republicans to go around crowing about the age and health of President Biden, yet not, uh, you know, talking about Mitch McConnell and his health. And as he put it, he said, you know, what is, you know, good for the goose should be sauce for the gander. <laughs> and there's something to that. There is. The other thing, and I, one of the reasons I, I'm glad that we're having this conversation is you have covered the Senate long enough to know that there is a deference that senators seem to give to each other about their health, at yeah. least have, right? Like, yeah, I mean, we, we've seen senators either have a, a health issue or just sort of get up in age and, you know, folks will kind of whisper in the halls or they, you know, have they sort of gone past their, their prime? You don't senators don't talk about that publicly, at least until very recently. Right. Is this kind of like this a breach? So of pro times. I mean, yeah. Yes. Is Hawley and these others breach kind of, of like decorum. a breach of Senate protocol? Yeah. Yeah. And that that's why it was so frank. And yeah. Josh Hawley was saying some of the same things that that most people outside of the building might say. But when you're in the Senate, uh, they don't say these things now. Yeah. You have had some Republicans in the building criticize Dianne Feinstein, the Democratic senator from California, who's, you know, the oldest senator, has had some serious health issues. 
is not going to run for another term, is out in, in January of 2025. Mm -hmm. By the same token, you have had other Republican senators or other Republican members, other Republicans criticize and ask questions about John Fetterman, uh, yeah. the Democratic senator from Pennsylvania, who had a stroke before being elected. And, and I thought, you know, there was something that, uh, you know, uh, that, that a couple of senators commented. They said, well, you know, uh, the, the good people of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania knew about Senator Fetterman's health issues. Obviously, everybody didn't vote for him, but mm -hmm. enough did. And he is now the senator. And of course, he, you know, then was hospitalized for about four or five weeks for depression shortly after being sworn in as a senator mm -hmm. and has trouble processing audio and, and speaking publicly. Uh, and, and you've had some Republicans and people would generally say this is in pretty bad taste, but, you know, politics can be pretty rough, showing video of him uh, to make a point, saying, you know, he's not competent or something like that. Whereas what we know medically about Senator Fetterman is that he's all there. He just has trouble processing, yeah, processing audio it. and yeah. yeah, and and speaking publicly and and, yeah. and so on. You know, and and would you say the same thing about, you know, a lawmaker who maybe you know is in a wheelchair or somebody yeah. who has you know other health? You know, you know, just because I mean, listen, we've talked about it with with Senator Feinstein, we've talked yes. about it with other senators for sure. I also thought it was notable, Chad. Um, that one of the first well wishes, at least publicly, that uh, Senator McConnell got was from President Biden. Mm -hmm. Well, what's going on there is that, and people forget this, they were pretty good buds in the Senate when uh, President Biden was here. Spent a lot in of fact, time working I, together, didn't they? <laughs> well, in fact, I remember one of the more touching moments I've seen in recent years. This would have been in December of 16. Mm -hmm. It's not too long before Christmas. So... President Biden at that point is Vice President Biden, and the Vice President, as you know, is the President of the Senate yeah. and presides from time to time. And he is the he outgoing the Vice Senate. President. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Lame duck. So he comes to the Senate to preside because they're about to pass this um, uh, th this moonshot bill uh, that deals with all these these you know, medical money, basically for mm -hmm. research and so on. And as then Vice President Biden was presiding, Mitch McConnell. Uh, the Republican leader comes to the floor and asks unanimous consent that they rename one title of the bill on the cancer research portion after the president's deceased son, Bo, who succumbed mm -hmm. to brain cancer. Yeah. And that was quite a moment. And I yeah. remember after, uh, you know, President Biden won, I did a story that aired on, on, on Fox News about this kind of hidden relationship between President Biden and Mitch McConnell in the Senate over the years. And so I did this, you know, in, in like November of, of 2020 after after he won and he was the lame duck. Now, again, they, they do talk trash about one another, you know, pretty commonly, <laughs> uh, more, sure. more so McConnell about President Biden. But, um, you know, they were pretty tight when they were here. And there is well, and a I level think that's of one of the one of the the also points that I have heard in sort of defending McConnell and his ability to remain in his position as the top Republican is that he has won that relationship with the administration, which you're going to need mm -hmm. moving forward, and has the legislative chops as they get through a really tough few weeks here upcoming with government funding. Right. And, and that's something that people will watch. Is he up to the job? Uh, is there another episode? Uh, according, according to John Kennedy, the Republican senator from Louisiana, uh, Mitch McConnell says that he's had two of these episodes and both have been at press conferences. Um, okay. OK, we take that at face value. If sure. it starts to happen more frequently, uh, you know, that's an issue. But, you know, I, I want to hone in on something that's very important here, especially as we look at this government shutdown and other things that they have to do in the next next few weeks. The reason that we're talking about age right now 
is that it is kind of in vogue. You know, certain issues rise to the fore in politics. Mm -hmm. And this just happens to be one of those issues. Because we've had John Fetterman, it's a split Senate. That's an issue. Dianne Feinstein, if she were to, you know, pass away, you know, you, you know, mm -hmm. you're going to have, you know, for at least a short period of time, you know, the Democrats are just down to 50 votes then. Gavin Newsom, the Democratic governor of California, would appoint a Democrat. Um, but, but because you have so many high profile issues with health and age and an aging chief executive, uh, this issue is to the fore. You know, yeah. there weren't a lot of people talking about the health and age of Thad Cochran the former late Republican I mean, senator from Mississippi. And you and I because saw was, him at the end of his career, and it was tough to watch sometimes. Agreed. But, but, but by that point, Thad Cochran, who had been a prominent senator, you know, dating back starting yeah. his term in the 70s, he had kind of faded to the back. Robert Byrd from West Virginia had yeah. been the majority leader and, and minority leader in the 70s and the 80s, and he had stepped back for 21 years, you know, and, and he see. recessed more into the and shadows so because, in his later years. Because these yes. aging questions are amongst leadership and people running the government. That is why maybe these are cases that separate themselves from those ones that you have mentioned, like a Thad Cochran, right. like a, a, a Robert Byrd or, or um, you know, a, a, an Arlen Specter maybe comes to mind as well. Right. And, and we're also in the we're also in this digital age where everything is captured on a cell phone yeah. video or whatnot. And I'm going to tell you a story here. This is not too long after I came to Washington. There was a congressman from Kentucky, William Natcher, who had a record, uh, and I think it's the all-time record still, of most consecutive votes cast. He was elected in the 50s. He died in the mid-1990s. And so he fell ill. And in fact, they, they called off votes in the House for a couple of days. Uh, in the interest of saying, well, we don't have to vote today. Maybe he'll get better and be able to come in just so he could maintain his streak. Well, he finally came to the Capitol and he was in pretty bad shape. And they actually wheeled him in to the House chamber on a gurney with an IV hooked up. And they and he and there was some question about whether or not when he put the voting card in the machine, did he actually do it? And did he press the button? That, that's a whole other conversation. Wow. But again, this is 1994. I've been here for six months, zero cameras, zero cell phones, iPhones, et cetera. But here was somebody who had been who was prominent, but, you know, we're not in that age. And, and I think if you and, and somebody who kind of shunned away from media attention, he had a very small staff, only only seven, seven members on his staff. And so the average person didn't know who William Natcher was, despite him being a congressman for four decades. A lot of people outside of Mississippi didn't know who Thad Cochran was, mm. but everybody knows who Mitch McConnell is, Dianne Feinstein, John Fetterman. You see where I'm going with this. I do. It's a good point. And, and listen, a story that I think is going to continue to, to be a story through the election cycle, again, given that, that there are now conversations about the president's age, about, you know, former President Trump's age, certainly what we've seen now play out in, in the Senate. So let's shift a little bit to. Uh, the other side of, of the Capitol building, and that's the U.S. House. Uh, they are finishing up this week. Uh, they had a week longer of, of that August recess, but they're back now. And what they have, like 11 or 12 appropriations bills to pass in, in like eight days. That's that's yeah, they, they've knocked they knocked out one in July. <laughs> they were supposed to do another one and they couldn't get the votes for that. So we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so uh, I mean, listen, the reality is it sounds like even even Kevin McCarthy is on board with a short-term spending bill, right? Well, 
he is on board with a short-term spending bill. <laughs> well, uh, that was what I was going to ask, right? Is, so what does that end up looking like, and, and is that feasible given the, the population of the United States House? It, it is feasible. And uh, I've talked about this a lot, that, that we're here at the impeachment bistro uh, on Capitol <laughs> Hill. And, and unless, you know, you know, Kevin McCarthy serves up pheasant on glass uh, for impeachment with, uh, for the House Freedom Caucus here, his own goose may be cooked. Uh, I mean, the problem is that he has to have the votes. He knows that mm-hmm. an interim spending bill that simply renews all the old spending could pass. But it probably takes more Democratic votes than Republican votes yes. in a Republican body. It's be about the math. OK, surprised yeah. you're hearing me say that. Uh, <laughs> Steve Scalise, the majority leader, has cancer. Unclear if he will be here. Mm-hmm. What few people have picked up on is that Chris Stewart, uh, the Republican congressman from Utah, his last day is September 15th. Mm-hmm. And then that seat's going to be open. So you're down to, mm-hmm. you know, a two vote margin at that point. I mean, they could lose yeah. three votes, you know, if everybody votes here. And then, um, you know, this gets increasingly harder to do anything without relying on the Democrats. And so Kevin McCarthy, if he puts that bill that just renews the old spending, and that's what, by definition, you'll hear the term in the next. Yeah, that's probably not what the CR ends up looking like, though, right? Well, but by definition, that's not a CR. Well, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But but do they? they, We've had weird names for them. (laughs) Yes. But what do they add a few things into this on? money for Ukraine or Maui or, uh, you know, Florida, Florida uh, yeah. or, or, or just, you know, what, what do they look like? You know, because again, if they cut money, which is what the Freedom Caucus wants, that yes. doesn't, you know, a CR just renews the old funding. So they're like, well, we're not for that old funding. We have to see right. cuts. McCarthy's like, you will see cuts, but it's down the road. All right. Yeah. Well, you know, this is like Wimpy and the, you know, the old uh, Popeye commercials. <laughs> yeah, I'll gladly a, pay a you Tuesday. hamburger today for a, yeah. 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 So I guess... You mentioned also impeachment, too, which is something that, um, you know, I know Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, a few others have sort of indicated that they want to take action on that first before they move forward on any sort of government funding. But that vote doesn't seem like uh, it's a lock. Just this week, I think Ken Buck, a conservative Republican from Colorado, said he hasn't seen anything yet that uh, he thinks is a slam dunk for impeachment. And the case that Kevin McCarthy is making is that we're not impeaching the president. All we're doing is creating an impeachment inquiry. Now, why is that important? Well, what is an impeachment inquiry? Well, you have to vote. The full House has to vote to you know, start an impeachment inquiry, even if you're not going to impeach somebody. OK, fine. But that needs a, a floor vote. Well, if you're down to just you know, one or two votes on your side, uh, that's a problem. And, and, and the numbers are starting to add up in terms of Republicans who don't want to go down that road. And that's the problem for Kevin McCarthy, because, again, he has talked about impeachment, et cetera. Now, he might try to finesse this. Here's the other problem for Kevin McCarthy. You see, see, these are the echoes of that. Remember that lengthy speakers race back in January? (laughs) These are the echoes of that. This is the resonance of this months down the train tracks. Kevin McCarthy and Republicans were critical of Democrats in the late summer and early fall of 2019, where they were talking a lot about impeaching former President Trump. And in fact, Doug Collins, who was the Republican uh, from Georgia, uh, who was the top Republican on the Judiciary Committee at the time, he said that he said, you know, this isn't legitimate what they're doing because they need to vote to have an impeachment inquiry. Well, the House finally did. The Democratic House finally did that in October of 2019. Kevin McCarthy has said repeatedly that if we're going to do this, we're going to do this by the book. Mm -hmm. We're not going to cut corners. 
We're going to be methodical. We're not going to, you know, cheat in any way. We're going to be very strict about this. So if he somehow dives headlong into impeachment, which may absolutely thrill the Freedom Caucus, he has violated what he has said consistently since yeah. summertime. I, I remember talking to him in the hall with a bunch of other reporters in July, and he kept saying, we're no different. We're in no different position now than we were. He said, we're just talking about an impeachment inquiry, and maybe we, we get to that point. Well, yeah. again, if you're just talking about an impeachment inquiry, you know, it, you know that's always the, the, you know, one well, of the yeah, things talking they say about up here in Congress. You're just having a conversation. You know, you're not, you you know, you're just you're just kind of chatting. You know that. What is that then? Um, And maybe the way Kevin McCarthy gets out of this is they just talk impeachment a lot. You see letters and press conferences, hearings from Jim Jordan and James Comer. And and again, you know, the the guy back home who doesn't know who William Natcher was or Thad (laughs) Cochran, they hear the word impeachment just in passing. They say, oh, yeah, that's kind of what we wanted. So you see, maybe that does work, at least politically. Well, we are uh, near the uh, Ides of September, Chad, and I know that's always a dangerous time for you uh, in the halls of Congress. So we'll uh, we'll keep having these conversations, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Spending up, revenue down, it's a simple equation for higher deficits. And it's why this fiscal year, ending at the end of September, is expected to show a $2 trillion budget shortfall, about twice the previous year's deficit. The projection comes from the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, a nonpartisan fiscal policy think tank here in Washington. Mark Goldwine is the committee's senior vice president and policy director. Revenues surged in 2022, and I don't think people realize that. Uh, It turned out that was a one-time phenomenon. It was caused by inflation, by capital gains. And so now revenues are coming back down to earth at the same time that spending is just getting started. You know, and I think that may be a surprise to people as well, because uh, spending is not I mean, a a lot of the, the, the savings in the deficit last year were attributed to a lot of the covid money. Uh, being used up, not not being spent. Um, so where is this spending that that's up coming from? Uh, it's mainly the big drivers, Social Security. Remember, there was those huge like nine percent colas, Medicare mm-hmm. and interest on the debt. And interest rates are now four to five and a half percent across the board. So that's really starting to drive up costs. Is that why people should care about the national debt or, or, or these annual budget deficits? Uh, you know, I think that to think about them in kind of the macro sense, it's kind of like, well, what does it mean? Who cares? Right. But uh, to your point, it, it sounds like they are pretty closely tied here to interest rates, what people may be paying, you know, for mortgages, for car payments, for things like that. Now, look, uh, first, the high deficits were one of the causes of the very high inflation we had the last couple of years, not the only cause but they contributed significantly. Now the deficits are responsible for a lot of this interest rate boost. And that means more mortgage uh, costs, higher credit card debt, you name it. And down the road, uh, the debt is likely to significantly slow wage growth. Um, That's what we see is higher debt turns to higher interest rates, turns to slower economic growth, um, reducing our future standard of living. 
obviously the debt deficit have always been issues in Washington and both parties have wanted to, to address it. Um, that's the rub, right? We talk about revenues being down. Um, obviously, tax cuts that Republicans prefer and some of the social safety net spending, obviously, that Democrats have looked to, to to stimulate the economy. Those both play a pretty a pretty significant hurdle in really driving down significantly or substantially or sustainability wise the, the deficit. Yeah, I worked in the Simpson Bowles Commission in 2010. And we proposed a combination of spending cuts and revenue increases that would have fixed the debt. Instead, over the last 12 years, politicians have passed tax cut after tax cut and spend increase after spending increase. And very rarely have they asked themselves, can we afford this? So what would you like to see happen is the House is about to return. They're going to have to deal with government spending, with government funding. Um, either through a short-term CR or, or through the, the standard appropriations process. The, the, the president, the speaker sort of locked in this budget deal to get through the debt limit increase a couple of months ago. What is your advice to Congress now as they come back to, to keep government funded? Uh, well, look, the Fiscal Responsibility Act, I think, was an important step in the right direction. Um, it set appropriation spending levels so the appropriators couldn't just spend whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And it put us on a path to lower deficits. But we now actually have to do the work, do the appropriations mm-hmm. at those levels. We should do it without cheating, without circumventing the rules. And then we should build on it. We should extend these caps beyond just two years to 10 years or more. We should l- find ways to lower the cost of health care, to make Social Security solvent, to fix our tax code so it grows the economy uh, without all of these costly tax breaks, and to cut excess spending wherever we find it. There are Republicans who'd like to go below the agreement that that you just talked about. Is that appropriate? Well, I I think it's important to show your credibility uh, and commitment to a deal. So they made the deal at this level. Uh, I think the parties ought to stick to this level for now, unless they can find ways in a bipartisan basis to come below it. But moving forward, we're going to need a heck of a lot more deficit reduction than what just the Fiscal Responsibility Act did. And I hope that everyone's pushing for more deficit reduction. The big drivers, as you point out, Social Security, Medicare. How do you bring down those costs? People are living longer. These benefits are going out for a a longer period of time than when the legislation was created decades ago. The cost of living um, adjustment, to your point, was up, what, 9 percent. How do you cut those those costs and still make good on the promises that that the government has made to, to seniors? You know, there is such an incredible amount of waste in healthcare. Um, we spend twice as much on healthcare as, as the average rich country, other than ours. We're paying more for the same procedures done in hospitals versus doctors' clinics. We're paying private, more efficient Medicare plans um, as if they're way less efficient than traditional Medicare. The incentives are all backwards. Uh, we're paying too much for drugs. So there's so much we can do on that. Medicare side on the healthcare side to actually lower costs for everybody, including the federal government. On Social Security, uh, we're going to have to recognize that uh, we're not raising enough revenue to pay for our benefits. And that leaves us with two choices. We can raise more revenue or we can reduce the benefits. I think we ought to do some combination focused on gradually adjusting the retirement age, uh, increasing the amount of income subject to that Social Security payroll tax, and making the benefit formula more progressive so that it's focused on those who really need it rather than paying 
you know, millions of dollars of lifetime benefits to seniors that uh, are themselves millionaires already. On the current path, and I'll use myself, I suppose, as an example, I'm, I'm about to turn 40 years old. Uh, on its current path, am I gonna, is there going to be anything left there when, when I'm eligible for, for retirement for Social Security? So the way Social Security works is when its trust fund runs out, it can still pay what it's bringing in. But it's only bringing in enough to pay for three quarters of benefits. So mm. 10 years from now, by the way, the insolvency is not far away. It's 10 years from now. Uh, the average new retired couple is going to get a $17,000 cut in their benefits. They will still get their benefits, but they're going to be $17,000 a year lower than they should be. And so that's where, where you talk about needing to either raise revenue or come to terms with lowering the types of benefits that, that folks are accustomed to. That, that's right. But look, this $17,000 cut, this is 23% immediate across the mm. board to all current seniors. That would be a horrible way to do policy. Instead, we should make gradual changes to the benefit formula that give people time to prepare and adjust, that focus on encouraging more work and delayed retirement, and that are mainly targeted towards those that can most afford it, the wealthy seniors. Um, even though, yes, their benefits aren't going to be as high as scheduled today, uh, we can do a heck of a lot better than a 23% immediate across the board cut. You talked about the, the cost of health care. That's something that, that the administration, President Biden, have uh, honed in on with uh, within the Inflation Reduction Act, that this ability to kind of negotiate drug prices directly with, with drug makers. Is that going to make enough of a difference to, to bring down costs in a way that is meaningful to deficit spending? I think it's a step in the right direction. Uh, look, we can argue over the exact policy design, but uh, we passed real Medicare savings that are going to reduce Medicare costs. We got to go way further than that, though. Uh, prescription drugs are just a small share of total healthcare spending. And even within prescription drugs, there's so much more we can do uh, to promote more use of generics, to make sure we're not over reimbursing doctors for more expensive drugs. Then we got to look at hospitals, insurance plans, states, beneficiaries, um, and the way that we pay for medicine. Right now, basically, the more you get, the more we pay. And so that drives up utilization, it drives up prices. There's so much we can do. And the prescription drug negotiations, that's just scratching the surface. Let's talk about the immediate uh, bills that are likely to be in front of Congress when, when the House returns here next week. Obviously, President Biden is asking for some supplemental spending bills as they relate to the southern border, as they relate to aid for Ukraine and, and certainly FEMA uh, assistance as they deal with, with the, the devastation in Hawaii, Florida and elsewhere. Generally, those types of spending bills are, are what we call off book, right? They don't sort of count against the appropriations process. Um that's not likely to change how Congress operates, is it? So there's two types of supplementals that are being considered right now. One is a total cheat. The Senate is trying to basically take mm. its normal spending, call it emergency supplemental, and get around the Fiscal Responsibility Act caps that just passed. Um, that's a horrible idea. Again, a deal's a deal. And the idea that we would borrow more on top of these caps is just ridiculous. Then there's supplemental for actual emergencies, hurricanes that have happened, Ukraine, uh, other kinds of disasters. Um, those may very well be warranted, but given how high our deficits are, you know, deficits are basically going to double this year. Um, we ought to be paying for them. If we're going to spend $40 billion on hurricanes in Ukraines, we can cut $40 billion somewhere else. So we can raise $40 billion in taxes. Uh, we, we can't continue down 
this path of not paying for things that we think are important. If they're important, they should be easy to pay for. If we go sort of looking forward now, long term, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll start with that question, right? So the deficit is on track to double uh, this year, the, the the federal deficit. What's the projection look like moving forward? Um, was last year kind of an outlier in kind of what we should have expected in deficits? And is this year maybe more normal or is this a, a high deficit year? So the, what I consider the underlying deficit is projected to roughly double from $1 trillion to $2 trillion. On paper, the deficit's going to be about $1.7 trillion this year. Um, and I think that's about the new normal. Uh, mm. Maybe it'll come down or go up a little bit next year. But that, that year where we had basically a trillion-dollar deficit, that was because of a one-time windfall of uh, inflation-driven revenue and capital gains. That's not lasting. And as interest rates continue to rise and we continue to get older, the long-term trajectory is even worse. We're headed towards three trillion, even four trillion dollar deficits out on the more distant horizon. And that's unsustainable as we look at what you had started talking about interest rates, what people pay for mortgages and credit cards. It's not. We've never had a deficit this high outside of a war, major recession uh, or pandemic, frankly. Um, We are an uncharted territory. Our debt is headed to the largest share of GDP, largest share of the economy, larger than after World War II. Uh, And we're, we're a rich country, so we can sustain this for a while, but we can't sustain it forever. It's going to be a lot of tough decisions that policymakers and lawmakers are going to have to make. And, and you pointed out, Mark, these are hard things for, for Congress to do. We uh, hope that maybe they, uh, they take notice because uh, I know it is troubling to your organization and an awful lot of Americans. Mark, I really appreciate the time. Uh, we'll keep in touch as we keep following these fiscal issues. Thank you for having me. Tomorrow on the Fox News Rundown from Washington, we turn our attention to democracy 2024, which Senate races are in play. Ryan Schmel sets up the map. And is it too late for a Democrat, say California's governor, to make a late entry? Jessica Rosenthal looks at that question. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm Jared Halpern. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox & Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.